This is Dan Fagella, and welcome to this bonus episode of AI and Industry. Those of you who've been with us for a while, you're aware that our episodes go out every Tuesday, and every month we have a theme. This month here in September, we're focused on the ROI of AI. But in addition to our normal podcast cadence, our normal publishing schedule, we often have new projects with different clients that we're working with. We work with many of the largest AI events companies in the world and AI-related brands, as well as well-backed venture-funded startups in artificial intelligence, and that allows us to create new bonus content, new bonus episodes from the additional research, the additional interviews that we're involved with. Right now, we're working with Kisako Research on their AI Hardware Summit, which is going to be in Mountain View from September 17th to 18th, so that's in California. And one of the speakers at that event is Mo Tanabian. Mo is the general manager of intelligent devices at Microsoft. Mo has a long history in working with intelligent devices, and he's actually presenting at Kasako's event at a special little spin-out session called Accelerating the Adoption of Edge AI. And this week, we speak with Mo about exactly that topic. So there's two major themes that we sort of cover in this episode. On the one hand, we talk about how to think about and reframe business problems to make them accessible for AI, part of the beauty of kind of AI at the edge, that is to say, doing AI processing sort of on individual devices rather than out in the cloud, is that it opens up new potential for new business problems to be solved by AI. And Mo actually has a really cool analogy to think through business problems and reframe them in a way where they might be accessible to AI. So for the C-suite, for those of you and those of us, I should say, who are not technically minded, who don't build support vector machines and code with Python in the weekend, but you still want to be able to find new ways to drive business value with AI, I think Mo's analogy is going to be really useful there. And then secondly, Mo talks about some really interesting representative use cases of intelligent devices. So he talks us through some of the examples that he thinks are interesting and how they tie to business value. So if you're new to intelligent devices and to AI hardware in general, I think you'll get a lot out of this episode. And Mo is certainly someone with a storied background in this space. Again, general manager of intelligent devices at Microsoft is a reasonably big deal. And Mo brings a lot of heat to the table in this episode. So this episode is sponsored by Kasako Research. I hope you'll get a lot out of it. Without further ado, let's roll right in with Mo from Microsoft here on AI and Industry. So, Mo, I wanted to start at a little bit of a high level here and get some of your thoughts on what are the most important near-term impacts of AI hardware. There's a lot of noise about it. I don't think a lot of folks know where this is going to hit the ground running in business. So what are your thoughts there? That's a great question. To get us a little bit more objective on predicting the future, I would frame why AI is such a big deal first. We kind of conceptually and from gut feel and 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 viscerally we we think and we see AI is going everywhere. But why? What's what's going on here? And it's really it all has to do with economics. There is a great book which is called Prediction Machines, and and AJ Agarwal from U of T makes a great modeling around this. That hey, this is about uh, some ec- very important economic input uh, becoming really cheap. And when something gets cheap, it goes everywhere. Uh, He gives some examples. One of the examples that I like a lot is uh, when we started to use silicon and software to do uh, arithmetic. And arithmetic is a very important economic input. Once uh, we were able to do that, uh, we started to basically 
handle those jobs in, in silicon and software instead of asking humans to do it. And we were a lot more efficient uh, and we, humans could do a lot more complex things. But something really interesting happened beyond that point. When uh, arithmetic driven by silicon and software became cheap and really cheap, we started to turn other things around that were not arithmetic based. But because arithmetic became so cheap, uh, we used it as an economic input to other things like photography. We started to digitize photos. Photography was a oh. chemistry problem. We turned it into an arithmetic problem because arithmetic was so cheap. The same thing is happening with AI. And the economic input that AI is changing is prediction. Humans have been the kind of only system uh, in the existence that could have done, that we could do prediction. Uh, we, we did prediction in a variety of places. You, when you went to get a loan, uh, a loan officer would predict whether you're going to pay the loan back or not, and whether they would grant you the loan or not. Or some people would uh, figure out that the population will like this type of titles, and the New York Times bestseller came about, or, or recommended movies for the next week came about. And we started uh, to leverage AI-based prediction and recommendation engines to replace those as an economic input. And that enabled a lot of new types of businesses and enabled new business models, even change the value chain and is changing the value chain as we speak. This intermediating existing value chains and all of a sudden moving the integration point across the value chain and, and hence creating new businesses. New businesses are coming uh, uh, to existence and old ones are kind of being sidelined. But that extra uh, kind of effect that we saw in, in arithmetic adoption, which we turned other non-arithmetic things around yeah. to arithmetic, is the exciting part of AI. And now we're turning problems that are not prediction problems in nature into prediction problems because prediction is cheap now. Self-driving X, whatever that is. Uh, uh, like uh, uh, having uh, a fairly sophisticated and and uh, common uh, uh, understanding of how and what in in a business setting, uh, what type of business entities impact our business results. I give you an example. For example, now AI are sitting in cameras. There is computer vision. There are cameras are watching shelves and realizing what items are moving fast. Moving fast means customers like them. And yep. then uh, you hook that up into the store's ERP system. And you see that for some reason, the, the store manager or the merchandising uh, people in the store, they put a low margin product on the end cap or low uh, or slow uh, moving product in the, on the end cap. And a fast moving product is not on the end cap. All of a sudden, that whole thing is detected is remedied and there is a message to the store manager, hey, you might want to move this item on, to the end cap. These are the things that we did not, we weren't able to do before. And it's just uh, impacting a lot of things. Now, one more uh, context and I'll uh, get into what's happening with AI hardware. We have had AI in multiple waves and these waves are not the waves that are done. They're ongoing, but new waves are coming on board. The first wave was internet AI. This wave of AI was basically the training data that we needed to train our models came from phrases that people searched, came from uh, mouse clicks and, and use, uh, user keyboard input. 
And that enabled things like uh, Netflix recommender engine, uh, what people view, watched, and, and those type of stuff, what people searched, and it enabled Google search engine. At some point, we started to realize, wow, uh, we can apply. And, and when, as the moment uh, we started to learn that we can use effectively and economically deep neural networks, and we have, we have enough hardware and data to train them, we realized that sensor-based AI is such a big deal. We saw the, the kind of entry point of it uh, with, with voice and language, things like virtual assistants and, and devices that enable those type of experiences. But the moment you add camera as a, as a major sensor to the mix, all of a sudden you see that the economics of a lot of business activities that we're doing is going to change. And that's the real push, uh, in my view, is in the next decade or so, where AI is going to create impact, create value, and make our lives better. It's where perception AI is being in integrated into our lives. Yeah, and so this takes us to the edge, and obviously this takes us to hardware. What I'd like to do, if we could, Mo, is just clarify a couple of the things you said. You've given us a lot to chew on here. So uh, clarify a couple of those things, and then we can kind of roll into hardware specifically, if, if you're good with that. You mentioned this really interesting analogy that arithmetic got cheap and we turned a lot of problems into arithmetic problems because we could solve them. We knew how to solve them and it was relatively inexpensive and fast to do so. Now you're talking about the same shift happening with prediction. That's actually something I was going to bring up was around this idea of, of perception as well, because, you know, I, I think about, you know, a camera system that detects, you know, a person or a certain kind of vehicle or maybe satellite imagery that's detecting, you know, certain kind of activity at a port or something like that, that doesn't as much seem like prediction as it does uh, perception. Are they kind of one and the same? So in other words, what was happening with arithmetic, is that happening both with prediction and perception? Or, or do you really think that prediction is kind of the meta umbrella here in terms of, of that's where a great the technological question. shift is? I'm yeah. glad you brought it up. Anything pretty much that AI does currently is prediction. We do practically two different things uh, with AI uh, and AI tool chain that we have in our disposal. One is classification, uh, which this is a dog, this is a cat, or, or, or this is Mo, or this is Dan for authentication purposes, or the way things have, have evolved so far to this point in time, this is how we predict it's going to go on. But if you look at even classification is a prediction problem because all you're doing in classification, you're predicting the likelihood that yeah, the image okay, that there you're we go. seeing yep, yep. Is, is a dog or is a cat with some probability. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Got it. Okay. So prediction is the meta umbrella and perception is, is something that is permitted because we have the ability to predict and we can predict with certain certainty likelihoods that maybe allow us to, to feel confident that this is a Toyota Camry or this is a freight truck or you know, whatever the case may be. So, okay, understood. This is this person's face, for example, 98% certainty. Okay, got it. And so, of course, this broad shift that allows us to predict is also what allows us to perceive. And now perception is no longer, you know, just the stationary security cameras around the big buildings. Perception can kind of be everywhere as people are wearing smartwatches, as vehicles are more and more embedded with technology. Maybe we could talk a bit about how that shift sort of impacts AI hardware when it comes to, you know, perception being more broadly used. 
Sure. So let's look at again uh, where we're turning other things into prediction problems uh, and uh, uh, things that are generally perception and cognition and cognitive activities that humans uh, do today. Like look at driving, for example. We talk about a lot about autonomous driving, autonomous drones, autonomous robots. What is driving? When you look at it, really, from uh, from a human's perspective, is a fairly complicated cognitive task. But when you when you break it down, if you want to turn it into a prediction problem, uh, if you look at a, a car that is driving, it has a, some a limited number of actuations, and that is go slower, go faster, turn left or turn right. Really, you can abstract the actuations that a car can take into these four. Maybe there are, there are some more, like do the signal or turn the light on or things like that, which are uh, ancillary, they're not core. And if you look at it from a prediction perspective, if you are training an AI engine that you have sensors around the car, so you have the sensory perception around your environment as you're moving through your environment. And if your question is, what would a good human driver do at this point of time? And if you collect enough data to train that AI and that collective set of AI engines that take the sensory data in and translate that based on that question, which is a prediction question. You're predicting what, what would a good driver yeah, would yeah, do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you translate that into one of those four actuations, drive slower, drive faster, go left or go right, all of a sudden driving becomes a prediction problem. And it can't happen unless you have the sensors, which is hardware, and you can process a significant amount of data in a very relatively short amount of time, near real time, that can answer that question. So all of a sudden, running a fairly highly efficient inference engine on the car becomes a key, key contributor into enabling that use case. And that uh, you, can, you can scale that and, and basically put it on the horizon of applications of uh, perception AI into other use cases. So the, the basically common components are, you have a sensor, you have the ability to get the data, enough data to train the model, and you have the ability to run the inference somewhere at the edge in near real time. Some, some applications don't need real time uh, requirements, but a lot of them do, yep. that you Make can deliver sense. that uh, prediction problem. Got it. And then now, if we are running these these uh, applications at the edge, you know, as you had mentioned, vehicles, it's it's pretty unrealistic to expect we can be in some remote area of Arizona and you know pipe all of our camera data up into some satellite somewhere and have that come back fast enough for us to turn left, turn right, accelerate, decelerate. As you'd mentioned, some of that processing has to happen on the spot. Maybe we could talk about how that shift is impacting the needs and the necessity for new kinds of hardware to support this shift, this giant uh, kind of prediction shift? Sure. So for a variety of reasons, some uh, some are uh, pure technical, basically, barriers. Some are economic barriers and some regulatory barriers. We need to be able to process uh, these models, uh, a lot of them for inference and kind of doing the prediction on a trained end, uh, model. At some point, uh, at some cases, we may actually want even to train uh, at so, uh, some parts of the model in uh, at the edge. But we have to run ML model on the edge. Uh, the the technical barrier, if you want a typical car uh, with the sensors, with the lidar sensor and the cameras, 
uh, on a daily basis, they generate truckload of data. Like this is not something that even if you had all the bandwidth in the world, uh, you could you could uh, yeah, upload yeah. To, uh, to cloud. So that, that there is a technical barrier. Even if you could, it's so expensive that it kills the business viability. So there is the economic barrier. And then there is the regulatory barrier. Some In some cases, you can't transmit the camera data to somewhere else outside of the, uh, the on-prem uh, structure. So when you put all of that into the bucket, you realize that we need capabilities to run AI on the edge. And again, I go back to, uh, to, the, to the previous statement that I made. To do that, the core of this is a fairly efficient, and efficient I mean from uh, execution perspective, like a processing perspective, and from a power perspective. You need a power efficient and high uh, compute capacity way of running AI models on the edge. Yeah, and, and so you talked about automotive. Maybe we could go a little bit, you know, I think the audience is always interested in you know, where is this moving into my sector? What are some interesting use cases of where these new capabilities, these new necessities uh, when it comes to enabling AI are sort of beginning to emerge and making their way forward? Automotive is a good one that I think everybody can understand. Are there other examples of AI at the edge that would require a new shift in hardware that maybe people just don't think about? Is there another handful of just interesting use cases that open up into more sectors that can show people sort of where uh, this edge shift is occurring? Yeah, absolutely. There is a, a, one of my favorite uh, people uh, in Silicon Valley is a VC called Vinod Kolsa. And he's, he has a pretty sharp mind. And he has a very interesting saying that I've heard him uh, saying all the time that a startup that promises or a technology that promises that I can replace a chore that is typically done by humans and I can do it better at much cheaper price bring those business ideas to me. So he's he's always ah, asking yeah, yeah. those business ideas. Now, if you put uh, Vinod's lens on and look at different industries, you look at retail, you look at uh, manufacturing, you look at logistics, whether it's uh, autonomous robots uh, in, in a warehouse or whether it's uh, autonomous driving and logistics of delivery of things like FedEx. If you look at basically learning industry and education, almost you can point out to use cases that that lens can be applied directly when you put perception AI uh, in the mix. And when you have sensors and you have AI running on the edge, all of a sudden, like in manufacturing, there are people who are experts in looking at the paint. They have a trained eye to see whether the paint quality meets the bar when a car is leaving the production line. You can easily do that with a really good trained model and a set of cameras. Uh, I'll give you another really uh, interesting example. It completely, uh, in an industry that completely is irrelevant to typical industries that we think about, mining industry. When you, uh, when you mine for gold, the way you design your explosion and the size of those rocks and uh, particles that post-explosion you get determines how efficient your mill runs. If they're too big, you need to spend a lot more energy to break them down. If they're too small, uh, there are other issues that... uh, So you want to make sure that those particles, the distribution of the size of those particles are in the right range. Today, 
there are human experts that they go look at that and say, well, I think yeah, yeah, uh, we yeah. did too much explosive there and we did too little explosive here. Let's rearrange it. Now, there is a company in, uh, in Vancouver, Canada, that they're just turning that into a complete perception AI uh, problem. And automatically, they have cameras on hydraulic shovels. They, as they load the particles into uh, the dump trucks that they take them to the mill, they look at the distribution of the size and calculate through some trained models that, hey, we did too much explosive today. Let's bring it down or too little explosive. So all of a sudden, something that was done by a very highly trained human, now we're doing it uh, with a set of sensors and uh, a model, a machine uh, trained machine learning model, and that human can go and, and do some far more complex tasks that we can't do yet with AI. Uh, it's incredible how almost all of our industries, healthcare is, is another really great example, they're all changing because of the perception AI. Yeah, and, and maybe, so we can kind of close on this note. I'm gonna see if I can nutshell this well, Mo, and you might have a, a little ending sort of tidbit to throw in here as well. I'm sort of thinking that, you know, if, if I'm in whatever industry, let's say it's insurance, let's say it's, you know, pharmaceutical, we have listeners from all, all different sectors. Mm -hmm. If I'm in a, a given sector, I might ask myself, where do we need someone to make a judgment based on a perception, whether visual or otherwise? And then maybe that is sort of a, an interesting use case for either AI at the edge or for perception AI in general. I'm trying to come out with, with some sort of way of helping the audience maybe Think of interesting ideas. Think about how their own business changes and shifts and, and how they can maybe gain new advantages. Um, is there anything you might add to that um, sure. in terms of uh, helping people think through? Here's I would, uh, how I would encourage people to look at their businesses. Any business is part of a value chain. So there is a chain of uh, actors in the value chain that starts from, uh, from some raw material or uh, some uh, input, and eventually it gets uh, in, uh, turned into a product or service and delivered to its uh, customer and consumer. So I encourage uh, uh, people to look at the role that they're playing in their value chain and see where the integration points are in the value chain, what top of the the value chain is delivered by one actor. What part of the value chain is modularized and one actor hands over uh, the outcome to another actor eventually for the final uh, product or service. And if you can find areas that you can change those modularity points to integrate further or to start modularizing further. Obviously, when you do integration, it's when you start building uh, uh, you, you focus on uh, delivering a complex task that integration is key. When you modularize is that task is, is uh, pretty mature, well understood, so you can break them down and you can create interfaces for different uh, actors in the industry to participate. Look at where you can move the modularity and integration points. And one, another, one good lens to put on uh, in that uh, exercise is what are the tasks that are currently done by a human that a human, a typical human can do between one and five seconds. Those are great candidates to target, to get AI, particularly perception AI to participate in the value chain. Cool, okay, excellent. So hopefully these are useful mental lenses for those of you tuned in on this episode. Mo has obviously given this a lot of thought and hopefully we can generate a lot of good and productive ideas from these sort of tidbits from Mo at the end of this episode. Mo, that's all that we have for time, but I sincerely appreciate you sharing some of your thoughts here on AI and industry. Thanks so much. Thank you.
So that's all for this bonus episode sponsored by Kasako Research. Again, Kasako's AI Hardware Summit is going to be taking place September 17th and 18th, 2019, and that's going to be in Mountain View, California. If you're interested in reaching our audience here and in how these bonus episodes work, as well as our sponsored content guidelines, obviously we will not just interview anybody. We have pretty strict standards here at Emerge. You can learn more at emerj.com. That's emerge.com slash advert. And you can learn more about the services that we offer for reaching our audience, as well as the standards that we have for who we'll actually work with and who we will not. So that's emerge.com slash advertise. Make sure to stick around because this coming Tuesday, we're going to be back into our normal series here on the ROI of artificial intelligence. Again, our normal episodes, our normal cadence of publishing for our structured episodes month by month take place every single Tuesday. So I'll catch you next Tuesday for back to our original schedule here on the AI and Industry Podcast.